and welcome to another WTF1 That Time When podcast, the show that takes a look back at some of the weird and wonderful stories in Formula One history. I'm Jess, I'm your host today, and I'm again joined by the wonderful Dan. Hello. There, there we go. <laughs> there we go yeah. You were like, do I speak now? <laughs> um, and also by the wonderful Tommy. You're Hello. both wonderful. Both wonderful, thanks. That's a lot nicer than when Matt does it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice host. Yeah. I like my guests to feel very comfortable and loved. Good. So um, today we're going to be talking about that time when three drivers set identical pole position times for the 1997 European Grand Prix at Jerez. 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 That's going to be a long title. Might need to edit that slightly. Yeah, we might have to find a condensed version <laughs> that of that. time yeah. when 121.072. There you go. There we go. He knows the time off by heart. So obviously we're looking ahead to the Spanish Grand Prix this weekend. This was actually the European Grand Prix of that season, if, yeah. I, uh, if I'm not mistaken. No. no. So let's let's just set the scene for everyone listening. Um, what What was going on in F1 in 1997? This is where me and Dan talk for like 40 minutes because it's like, I, th- I think you're the same as me, that it's one of your favourite seasons ever. Yeah, right? yeah, one of my um, first. Quite a strange season. Yeah, a really bizarre season. Um, very different to what it is today. Um, I remember it being quite random. <laughs> I remember random. it like yesterday. Yeah, I remember it like yesterday. Well, I don't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was a very mixed season. There was a lot of... Um, a lot of midfield teams doing really well. I was actually amazed that I, I looked this morning at the um, results because I seem to remember a lot of midfield teams getting a podium. And if you think that this season, uh, it's very likely that we're probably only going to get Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull on the podium and no midfield teams. Uh, 1997, you had Williams, Ferrari, Benetton, McLaren, Jordan, Prost, Sauber, Arrows and Stewart all getting a podium. Nice. Which is pretty crazy uh yeah like uh panis was a title contender at the start of the year and a prost fizzy keller nearly won a race for jordan damon hill almost won a race for arrows which we won't talk about because it's too depressing uh and yeah just a crazy crazy season yeah and, and why was that sorry dan Giga. um well there was sort of a number of factors it was sort of it was kind of 97 was sort of the end of a long period of regulation stability so obviously a lot of teams had sort of converged on similar solutions um, some of the top teams were going through periods of changes so Williams had lost Adrian Newey uh, towards the start of that season he'd left Williams and he was he would start McLaren the following year Ferrari was going through its rebuilding phase with Schumacher and Braun and everything um, McLaren were getting on top of uh, their new Mercedes engine partnership well it was their third year of it so it wasn't exactly new but you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> Williams were Williams were sort of like on a bit of a downward slope yeah. while Ferrari and McLaren were catching them up Right. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess Benetton as well. They'd just gone from Schumacher like winning championships, and they were sort of yeah. slowly slipping back down a little bit. And you also had you also had Bridgestone coming in as a tire manufacturer. Mm. So before that, it was just Goodyear, and then Bridgestone came in, and obviously new tire manufacturer. The only teams that are going to gamble on that are the midfield teams. Mm. And when it turned out that Bridgestone tires were actually really good at certain races, that created opportunities for those midfield teams i think my favorite weird stat about 1997 which i don't think will probably ever happen again is that uh the two obviously the two title contenders which we'll talk about soon went down to the final race separated by a single point uh they didn't share a podium for the entire season they were never on the podium together schumacher and Villeneuve. which imagine like that happening nowadays you would never yeah, it's one of my favourite stats in the history of F1, that I think. It's absolutely crazy. 
So so let's lay the scene. So we the the European Grand Prix actually was the 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 final Grand Prix of the season, right? Um and it had meant to be in Portugal, right? At Estoril. Yeah, they they did the um end of the season uh near the end of the season anyway in Portugal every now and then. And um there was financial troubles, was it? Yeah, yeah, the track, the track was it. sort of running out of money and needed repairs and things like that. So, so. I think so most of our audience will know Hereth as more of a, a testing sort of track, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was... I, I don't actually know how last minute it was that they um, put it in. Well, but. I think I think Estoril was supposed to be before Suzuka and then when it... it must, I think it was mid-season sort of time that they realised that, oh, Estoril's not going to happen. And then they put Hareth in at the end of the season to give it a bit more time. And also, I think there was pressure from Renault because it was their final season as manufacturers. They wanted the season to finish in Europe so they could celebrate it. So oh, that's okay. why it was pushed to the end of the season. Okay. So here we go. Last race of the season. What does that world championship table look like? How how close is it at the end of the season? Yeah, I think there was more controversy. I don't know how much you want to go into into kind of before but they're separated by one point uh, were, sorry. Uh, Villeneuve and Schumacher yep. and Schumacher was one point ahead I believe he was yeah yeah because um, there was controversy in the race before at Suzuka yeah yeah where Jack Villeneuve was disqualified and then not disqualified and then did get disqualified again yeah um which basically set up this title finale between the two of them uh already already it's quite controversial and you know it's at this title finale between the two where they were separated by uh, a single point going into the last last race and everyone pretty much assumed that you know it's going to be a case of whoever wins this race wins the title yeah yeah so so a lot is potentially resting on qualifying then yeah yeah and Hareth as well uh, if you don't know it's not exactly a track known for its overtaking it's very tight very twisty there's very few straights uh, lots of yeah, fast corners. Bit of an old school, very old school. Yeah, track. Yeah. yeah, not 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 your like Baku or China with a two kilometer straight where bit, you can get a slipstream. It's kind of like Hungaro Ring, I suppose. Yeah. So pole is super important. Okay, so here we are in qualifying. What? How on earth do multiple drivers set the exact same qualifying time? Yeah, it's, it's such a such a weird session. So I actually watched watched it on uh, on YouTube because I I found the the session on some old little someone obviously recorded it on an old VHS or something. And uh, yeah, Villeneuve. So so back back in qualifying, I think we mentioned it before on this podcast. Uh, for those that don't know, this was when you had twelve laps. So you had four essentially like four runs to yeah. get your qualifying lap in within an hour. And um, the first uh, fastest time to be set was Villeneuve, who set a pole of uh, 1 minute 21 seconds uh, 0.072. And that was uh, 14 minutes into the session. So a quarter of the way through yeah, the session. That's quite unusual in itself, because normally in those sessions, the faster times would come in the dying minute. So yeah. it's quite unusual. That- yeah, it was a really weird session because, yeah... The reason they scrapped that qualifying was because people would just wait till the end because that's when the track was best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Villeneuve didn't improve for that entire session, which was very bizarre. Uh, but not as weird as half an hour into the session when Michael Schumacher, his obviously his title rival, um, was on for a really quick time, looked like he was going to get pole, 
uh, crosses the line and sets a 121.072 as well. So exactly the same time, uh, which was pretty mad. So so in those situations then, um, for those that, that might not be aware, how how do you decide who... Well, actually, that's not even the end of it because with 10 minutes to go... Yeah, Frent, so Frentzen, 10 minutes to go, Frentzen crosses the line. Uh, he's looking like he's going to get pole, which would be yep. pretty dramatic. Um, and Frentzen sets a 121.072 as well, <laughs> identical. Like for two for two drivers to do it is unheard of, and I don't think within the time that we've had the th- the three points, if you like, um, recording it that specific, it's ever happened. But for three drivers to do it is absolutely insane, uh, and there's there's videos of murray walker like absolutely losing yeah, it during yeah. uh during this all happening and one of the funny things that when frentzen sets his time it cuts to michael schumacher who's in his garage watching it on a monitor and you can just see him laughing like he's just like <laughs> i cannot believe this is happening so so again let's 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 dive into that then how what are the theories behind it how did that happen was it a glitch was it you know just that they managed to get to that level of of accuracy in terms of matching each other's times what what was going on well time drivers setting the same time is it's uncommon but it does happen like but generally down the field i think might have been last year i think there was a case where it happened between two drivers on the cusp of q1 and whoever sets the time first go is deemed to be ahead because they set it first so even though they set the same time, it was the case of someone going out in Q1 and one going through to Q2. I think I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, it does happen every now and then, like fifth and sixth. Uh, you set identical times, but yeah, I should probably say that uh, Villeneuve was on pole for the race because he set the time first. So whoever set the time first is essentially pole. Yeah, Schumacher set it second, so he was second, and Frentzen was third. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it. It is such a weird, weird thing because I guess if you're cynical and are one of those people that um, love a conspiracy theory, you think, okay, so these two drivers are separated by a single point going into the last race. There's there's all these jokes, you know, that like Bernie liked to make the championship nice and close and make yeah. it a big spectacle. And suddenly these two champions going into the final race of the season have set identical times. Like what like I just cannot believe the chances of it happening. You you would you know, you would believe that there was a timing glitch. Yeah. You? Yeah, you've got something like that happens, you do you do question it. Um which actually I was uh, when I watched it back, one thing I, I didn't realise at the time and hadn't seen written down much anywhere the timing monitors did actually go down at the start of the session oh right uh, <laughs> yeah and um, yeah all the monitors in the commentary box went um and martin brundle and murray walker were like they're gonna have to stop the session because like we don't have any information don't know what times the drivers are doing and stuff <laughs> uh it was only for a very short period of time but again it sort of adds to that conspiracy i guess yeah yeah makes, makes great he- great headlines that's for sure but i saw you you wrote an article on it uh, not not too long ago that the teams obviously have their own telemetry and can yeah. check the exact times anyway yeah. so there's no 
like no the team to fix it. yeah the yeah. teams will know that it wasn't fixed right? yeah on the um on the grid walk for the uh the build up when martin brundle in his his first year of commentary so early brundle grid walk um he he was sort of slightly suspicious too i think because he he went down to williams and asked the team for a telemetry overlay of their laps and uh they gave it to him and it showed that in the first half of the lap frenson was up half a second on villeneuve's time and then had like three or four corners where he made mistakes and dropped it down and it it did go back down to even at the end so certainly for whether but then you question whether the telemetry is genuine or not but certainly from that you can't obviously overlay it with ferrari because they probably wouldn't have given given television that knowledge but but it seemed like they were it seemed genuine so there we go we've got three drivers with the same qualifying time and as we've as we've pointed out that it set in order at which they set them so we've got Villeneuve on pole followed by Schumacher followed by Frentzen what happened in that final race then should we quickly dive into to that race because it's quite a controversial one yeah if if qualifying was mad enough um yeah the the reason that we did the qualifying as this sort of the main topic is because a lot of people know what happened in the race uh and for those that don't it was the infamous Michael Schumacher move where uh, Villeneuve um, was catching Michael Schumacher. So Villeneuve lost pole pretty uh, yeah. early on in the yeah, yeah, Schumacher lead at the start. Yeah, yeah. and um, Michael Schumacher was leading. Villeneuve was catching him, and obviously, as as we know, because there's a point separating both of them, Villeneuve has to pass him to win the World Championship. Yeah, uh, Villeneuve comes down straight takes the inside of probably the only overtaking spot on the track yeah and michael schumacher turns in to him it's not it's not just a turn in though it's sort of uh villeneuve's coming and he sort of gets out the way and he thinks oh no i'll just turn in and turns in and it's it's the, probably one of the most deliberate contacts yeah like people bel- so like people uh, the theory is and i don't know if schumacher's ever admitted that's what he was doing but people were pretty certain this is what he was doing similar to um three years earlier obviously he had a similar incident with damon hill where there was controversy of him winning the title uh, and he saw his championship going essentially and thought well if i damage his car and we both don't finish i win because i'm a point ahead yeah but instead he crashes goes off into the gravel trap and villeneuve carries on and then obviously you had the controversial end where you didn't know if he was damaged because obviously if his car was broken and he had to come in the pits and retire a bit like damon hill did four years earlier three years earlier uh schumacher's won the title yeah i think i think at the time uh as soon as it happened martin brundle in commentary was sort of figured oh schumacher's done that on purpose and said straight away you've hit the wrong part of him my friend um because schumacher's front wheel only hit the side pod of villeneuve's car and not the wheels or suspension or anything and then when he kept going afterwards, it was, oh, well, there's nothing going to be wrong with Villeneuve's car. But then he started to slow down quite a lot and he got slower and slower until the last couple of laps when the McLarens were right on his tail. Yeah. That car is actually in the Williams Museum that we've been to before and they've kept the um, damage damage on the side oh, pod. Nice. So oh, like the, the Schumacher's tyre rubber, essentially. But yeah, uh, because this race wasn't controversial enough... Um, the ending was controversial. In fact, during, during the race, um, uh, was controversial as well. So there was a moment where um, a Sauber, back to 
Murray Walkers and Brendel's amazing, Fontana. yeah, amazing commentary. Uh, one of the Saubers uh, was they were coming up to lap the Sauber. This is when Villeneuve was right on Schumacher's tail, going yeah. for the lead. Uh, Fontana in the Sauber, the Sauber Ferrari, we should say, uh, lets Schumacher past and then chops back in front of Villeneuve and loses. He must have it's lost like, like four or five, four or five it's seconds. A good of time, it's a yeah. lot of time. Um, and obviously, you know, Murray Walker made, I think he said something like a case of champagne to Norberto Fontana from Ferrari. <laughs> uh, and then Brundle is, says something like, uh, Murray, what engine is in the back of that uh, Sauber again? Oh, you are a cynical old <laughs> chap. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, um, and then it came out years later that um, Jean Todd, who was the boss of Ferrari, denies this still and is now FIA president, so he won't admit it. Um, but uh, Sauber, the Fontana in interview said, yeah, Ferrari came up to me and said, you will block Yona yeah. for Schumacher and help him win the title. So, well, yeah. So anyway, the race comes to an end and Villeneuve... Controversy. Yeah, more controversy. Yeah. Even more. Because yep. uh, Villeneuve is... Is, is slowing down he knows that all he needs to do is get a point to win the title uh, it was a was it a point oh, yeah, or two points two points, I think. two points to win the title uh so he didn't need to win the race and um yeah uh the mclarens were catching him uh and uh obviously because of uh the situation villeneuve is not going to risk a battle a with battle with Hackenham Hackenham and Coulthard, yeah so. uh, they're not going to risk a battle with mclaren because um you know he doesn't need to win the race all he wants to do is finish get the points and win the title so on the final lap Hakkinen's closing him and literally Villeneuve pretty much just stops yeah. on the straight and lets Hakkinen go yeah and then Coulthard goes past as well yeah and then on the finish line as Villeneuve's about to cross the line to get a podium Gerhard Berger is like half a, like a couple of tenths away from passing him for third as well at the end he's just slowed down by so much which is at the time it was like oh his car's very damaged he's just taking it easy but yeah. then afterwards there was reports that it was a bit more sinister than well not sinister but there was more to it than just Villeneuve going slowly with a damaged car uh, because apparently Williams and McLaren had met up before the race and there was a, allegedly an agreement between the two where if McLaren didn't get in Williams's way and sort of aided them against Ferrari they would aid McLaren to win the race. Well, well, well. Yeah, it's it's mad, isn't it? It's essentially so like, you know, people joke about Ferrari, you know, playing tactics with their midfield teams. It's it's almost like um, you've got this situation now in F1, haven't you, where a lot of teams have a B team. Yeah. Uh, you know, Toro Rosso are going to, when Red Bull are, were leading the title everyone was like oh we're Toro so gonna you know block and get in the way and things like that for to help Red Bull um but yeah this was these were two top teams that were essentially using the the other teams in the midfield to yeah. help their challenge and uh, I should probably say as well this was Hakkinen's first Grand Prix so uh, first Grand Prix win uh and it was just a ridiculous situation because they allowed Hakkinen to get ahead of Coulthard yeah so they swapped him, which already just proves that he was Ron Dennis's favourite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, swapped him and then said, like, right, Hakkinen, you go after Villeneuve because we could win this race. And then obviously Villeneuve, as soon as Hakkinen's near, drops back. Uh, but yeah, there was all this um, 
you know, I guess it's, again, it's like match fixing. Like, where do you draw the line of the fact that they're playing with the race result like that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, was there, I think there, was there talk of even like Williams, they, they could be disqualified. I, th- I think from the title. <laughs> like, I think Sh- Schumacher's, before the race, apparently Max Mosley had gone up to the Villeneuve and Schumacher and said, if there's like, we won't tolerate any, like if there's any suspicion of contact that's on purpose in the race then there'll be severe penalties which, because, which there was which there was um because apparently well because there was 94 which you already mentioned between schumacher and hill and then in 89 and 90 senna and prost had collided to decide championships and i think the fia were a little bit fed up that this was becoming a, a bit of a pattern where drivers could do this to win championships um but during the race apparently max mosley said to the stewards is there going to be any penalty for that and they said no it's a racing incident but then after, like, uh, days after the race, they investigated it again and decided to s- disqualify Schumacher from the entire championship standings at the end. Which is, that's, that's not just like a race disqualification. That's an entire season. You might as well have not have even taken Yeah, that's part. a big penalty. Kept, yeah. He kept his race wins though, right? He kept all his results. It was just, he wasn't second he wasn't in the championship. Second, right. Which, yeah, that that's a, a strong yeah. message. I mean, yeah, what a, like, is he the only driver that's been disqualified from the championship? Uh, the only driver, Tyrrell, were in 84 because they were running underweight cars and ah, doing okay. all sorts of But in terms but... of like something a driver has done yeah, to be yeah. disqualified from the entire championship think, yeah, yeah. is pretty, you know, pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. and what... I think I think because of that, the, uh, the Williams and McLaren thing, it was the sort of thing that there would be suspicions of, but you could never really prove. So I think they a bit just... like the Sauber, a bit of Sauber and Ferrari one yeah. as well. Like, how do you prove it? Like Jean Todd saying, "No, we didn't." Yeah, He's saying you know it could have been his own choice. Mm. Yeah, so I think they sort of dropped that as a pursuit because obviously the Schumacher thing is controversial enough, and you don't want when the sport's already in a spotlight for negative things, you don't want to add to it with other things that you can't be sure about. Really, really crazy end to such a controversial season, one such my... a controversial yeah. race. Like, absolutely bizarre mad season which i'm sure there'll be a few races that we'll do in this podcast as and, well and one that villeneuve still Is isn't over. really over because as recently as tuesday he came out to say to actually blame that um f young f1 drivers currently competing have actually learned a lack of respect and he's blamed that on schumacher's behavior um, oh, right. throughout his career because i guess Schumacher is lauded as an absolute F1 legend, you know, the most successful Formula One driver in history. And because of that, you you kind of get a bit bleary-eyed, I guess, about any of his indiscretions, you know. I mean, I guess the, the thing for, from my perspective, when I think about Schumacher, he was unapologetically ruthless. He pushed the boundaries in every single area. Exactly. But he didn't, you know, he didn't try and hide the fact that that's the kind of driver he was. Whereas I think there might be other drivers of recent times that have I don't want to say tried to hide it or tried to make out that they're like nice drivers but actually they're pretty ruthless. But you know, they don't really own it like Schumacher did. And yeah. whilst I agree, you know, I I personally don't like ungentlemanly or unsportsmanlike behaviour on racing. It's still racing, and I guess it, it's I don't want to say it's part and parcel of the sport, but I think that competitive edge or that absolute desire to win, and you know, I'm not I'm not definitely not condoning you know 
smashing into each other or you know who wants to win a world championship from somebody else you know causing a collision and retiring or i mean that i mean that's just not what i would imagine a race win should should feel like ought to feel like but yeah Villeneuve still talking about it to this day i would agree to some sense i mean there was a there was a time in formula three this is before formula three took over gp3 I was watching some of those races and I was thinking like these kids are literally like chopping each other down the straight like there's no respect to the like yeah. well, racing there's a, there's, etiquette like there was, it, an, there was it, an F3 race at Monza a few years ago where they actually cancelled the weekend because yeah. the drivers just couldn't get couldn't drive properly so they just said <laughs> no we're it's not doing it anymore like, it's great that like um you know Senna had that mentality of like I'm coming through or we're crashing yeah Schumacher kind of had that and now we're not coming through yeah. because we're crashing and like <laughs> Verstappen is without doubt building that reputation for himself now of like never never admits his fault like that that's the reputation he's decided to build like his almost like his personality within F1 yeah it's like I uh, to the point where you know even Hamilton's like I'm not going to race this guy because yeah and and that's obviously working in his favor but you know if you get like 20 drivers on the track like that Mm. which was happening in like formula three you, you you're just getting to the point where you know you can't overtake because someone will literally rather crash into you yeah. than be yeah, overtaken feel i've actually said in this um article to it was just to a swedish um a swedish newspaper called expressen i've probably said that completely wrong but there we go um he says you know he looks at formula two and formula three and he's actually really surprised that we don't have a couple of deaths every year because of the way i mean it is over the top but yeah. um there is one driver who is absolved from villeneuve's judgment any guesses who that driver might be what's that sorry um, so one drive he says that there's one driver on the grid currently who he thinks is still a gentleman driver hamilton yeah. Yeah. Is it? I was going to say Maldonado. But, no. um. <laughs> he says Lewis is great because so far he's done nothing that is beyond the boundaries. Apparently. There's a big difference. He's more of a gentleman right. on the track, a quick driver, but he's clean. Now, but in his younger days, Hamilton wasn't always clean. No. 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 But, but I don't know if that is that's like I that think, young... I think the fact that he is up there in the number of titles with Senna and Schumacher and is yet to win a title by ramming someone off the road yes like yeah. people berated him for like bottas moving out the way of him and stuff and like i mean th- at the end of the day that's a team decision that wasn't hamilton going on the radio like i need these points get get him out of the way and even if it was like that's part of the game like until hamilton literally like takes vettel out or does something really really controversial yeah. like i think the fact that i can't remember anything super no. I mean, he, really he edged rosberg off the track a couple of times but that's just yeah. standard racing everyone but does well, that. wasn't it wasn't it hungry where nico literally d- just didn't turn like oh, and, austria. And, yeah. austria oh it was austria yeah. That was it. yeah um and kind of smashed so they had a few him. moments i guess but like, again, again yeah. it wasn't t- well yeah i get I, I think you're right there's 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 fewer immediate instances that you can that spring to mind i guess when where schumacher and senna like you can name no doubt (laughs) unbelievable drivers two of the best of all time uh no one can deny that but 
if you ever need an argument against them, it is that they took someone out to win a world title. So yeah, and it, that is always the forefront of their mind. So kind of a interesting little aside about gentlemanly conduct. Uh, very off topic, but in 1981, it was Carlos Reutemann versus Nelson Piquet for the championship, and Reutemann was ahead in points. And before the race, uh, I think a journalist said to him, oh, well, you can just ram him off. Uh, no one will know, and you'll win the championship. And he said, but I wouldn't know. So, and he didn't do it. Wow, and lost fair. the championship, so. <laughs> there you go. Controversy abounds. So that brings us to the end of this That Time When podcast. Thank you very much for Dan and Tommy. For Thank your- you. As always, fountains of knowledge about Formula One. I always enjoy these so much. I learn so much about the history of this sport when I when I get to talk to you guys and geek out a little bit. So that's always a pleasure. Thank you ever so much for listening. Um, If you are listening to this on any of the audio and podcast platforms, please do remember to give us a follow, subscribe to this podcast, and also to give us a rating. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us spread the podcast further so more and more of you can enjoy the content that we're making and we massively appreciate it. So thank you ever so much. And we'll join you next time for uh, a podcast around the Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah, there's not much to do about that, is there? Oh no, we've got a good one. We've got a good one. (laughs) Thanks ever so much for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 (laughs) 